Shlomo Karbach tells uh, Maisa that he was once walking down the street that's right adjacent to the beach in Tel Aviv. And he's walking down the street and he comes across a gentleman who is disfigured on his face with his body. And he walks over to him and Shalom says, Shalom Aleichem. And the man looks back at him and he says in a heavy Polish accent, Aleichem Shulam. So Shalom says to him, Are you from Poland? So the man says, Yes, I'm from Piazetsna. And he says, Piazetsna? He says, My entire life, I've wanted to meet somebody from Piazetsna. Did you know the Rebbe? Did you know the Eish Kodesh? The man says, Not only did I know the Eish Kodesh, he says, He was my Rebbe. He says, I learned with him. From the time I was five until I was eleven, I was one of his children. So Shlomo says to him, can you tell me a word? Tell me a, a something. Something from the Piazetz and the Rebbe. Tell me something from him. So the man closes his eyes and he starts to cry. And he says to Shlomo, I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you one. I'll tell you one idea. He says, we used to sit by the Rebbe's table, we used to come to his house Friday night for the, for the Shabbos Suda. And we'd be sitting there, and in between every single course, the Rebbe would share a vort, he would sing a song. The first course, and the second course, and the second course, and the third course, and the third course, and every time he would share an idea, he would say a nigga. And after every vort, After every niggin, at the end, before the next course, he would say, Kindalach. My children, my precious children, remember and never ever forget that the greatest thing you can do in the world is to do someone else a favor. And then the man said, I was 11, I was sent to Auschwitz. And the first week in Auschwitz, I was ready to give up. I was done. I was finished. And on that last day, I was, I was done. I was ready to give up on life. And I heard the voice of my Rebbe. Kindalach. The greatest thing you can do in the whole world is to do a favor for somebody else. And the man looked at Roshlomo and he says to him, Do you know how many favors you can do in Auschwitz if you really want to? Roshlomo says, No. He says, Every night there were people who were lying on the floor crying their eyes out. And everybody else was too weak or too depressed to go over to them. And they would sit by themselves. So I decided I would go over to them, each person one at a time, and I'd say, what's wrong? Why are you crying? And they would tell me about their brother or their sister or their mother or their father who they was gone and they lost them, they never see them ever again. And I would hold their hand and I would cry with them. 
And when I was done, I would go to the next person. I did this every night I was in Auschwitz. And then the man looked at Rishlom and he said, not only did my favors give other people chizik, they gave me chizik too. Because they gave me the ability to give, to do somebody else a favor. Pash Shabbos, Kosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe Rabbeinu that the bear of an Egisov, Yikchul Yitruma. And all of the Mepharshim want to know, what do you mean, Yikchul Yitruma? Yitnul Yitruma. It's not grammatically correct. And says the Beis HaLevi, why the Lashem, Yikchul Yitruma, take Truma, take a donation. Because we make the mistakes as the Beis Alevi and we think that when we give, we lose. When in fact, the only things in this world that we keep is that which we give away to somebody else. There was a gentleman who uh, spent many years in the yeshiva here who passed away, he was an old man already, who passed away when I was in Smicha. And he had been around the yeshiva for many, many years, decades and decades, and many of the yeshiva went to JFK to say to Hillam and to be Malav of the Mace. And I went with my Harusa, we missed Kolos that day, there was a bus, in the old base manager, we took the bus to JFK, and we sat there, and, and many of the Russian yeshiva were there, it said, Hespedim. And at the way end of the Hespedim, the Hespedim were over. The Aron, and I remember this like it was yesterday. The Aron, the, the wooden box was sitting on the ground. And an airport worker from JFK came with a forklift. And lifted the Aron on a forklift. And took it to the plane. Like cargo. And my Harusa looked at me and he said, Benny, when you die, all you have are your mitzvahs. And I'll never forget that. The only thing in this world that you take with you is that what you give away. That you give to somebody else. Or to Kadosh Baruch. So Kadosh Baruch says, V'yikhli truma, take truma, because when you give it to me, that means I'll take it to the old man. Because when you give, you receive so much more in return. The researchers at the University of Virginia, there's a, they have something called the University of Virginia National Marriage Project. And they uh, study the role of generosity in marriages, in 2,870 marriages. Sorry, 2,870 men and women. And generosity was defined as giving good things to one's spouse freely and abundantly. For example, that when your spouse wakes up in the morning, you make a cup of coffee for her. It's not the most difficult thing in the world, but something extra. Something extra. And the researchers quizzed individuals on how often they behaved generously towards their spouse. 
And the results were phenomenal. Men and women with the highest scores and generosity scale were far more likely to report that they were very happy in their marriages. In couples with children, who should have probably more stress in their life, those who posted above average scores for marital generosity, about 50% reported being very happy together. Those with lower generosity scores, only 14% claim to be very happy in your, in your relationship. Researchers pointed out, though, that it's difficult. While it seems obvious to be generous in a marriage, it's hard because if you're married already, you know this. If you're not married yet, you should know this. There are a lot of responsibilities in a couple, and everyone has their job to divvy them up. It's hard enough to do all you're supposed to do. To do extra is hard. Going above and beyond takes effort. But the research itself confirms what we know already. That the more you give, the more you receive. And if Dessler, connects this idea to Purim as well. We know that if Dessler has the famous Kuntus Achesir, where he tells us that we think that we love people because they give to us, when in fact, we love those to whom we give. The people to whom we invest the people we give to, we love more. But says of Dessler later on, giving, nidivus, and hechrich, a feeling that I have to do something, are tied to the Sasra. They're mutually exclusive. You can only give to someone if you don't feel that you have to. Only if you want to give. That's why Malachim he writes, only have Yira. Because a Malach doesn't choose. A Malach does what Karsh Baruch Hu says. No Bechir. And he explains also, not that I understand this, that the Arizal writes that Adam Arishon was Chote Lishma. On purpose. Why was Adam Arishon Chote Lishma? Because he understood that until at that moment he just had, when he's just in the, in the Gone. There was Emes and there was Shekhar. There was no Tovara. He didn't have a real Bechira. He understood Emes and Shekhar, obviously. He almost didn't have a choice. Because he knew what was right and what was wrong. He wanted, in a sense, says Rudessler, to eat from the Eitzadah's Tovara. Because then you'd have to struggle. And then you'd have to choose. And only when you have to choose, and you choose to give, can you love? I'm not saying it was the right choice, and that's not my. That's what he says. That says Pshat in every reason. And this explains for us, I think, Gemara, you all know. Gemara and Shabbos, Taf Peiches. They stood at the base of the mountain and says, Ravdim, Barcham, Barchasim, Lavish, Kapfa, Kalashbarhu, Sahar, Lam, Kigikis. Raises the mountain over their head like a barrel and forces them to accept the Torah. Now, far from all bother, that's not what really happened. God didn't actually lift the mountain over their head. So, what does that mean? What does the Gemara mean that Kharashbrahu forced them to accept the Torah? And says the Maral and the Marshal says something similar also. That the experience in Harsinai was so. Clear 
The experience of Mamish Yidiyas Hashem was so obvious in front of their faces, they had no choice. Of course they're going to accept Torah. It's obvious. But it wasn't a fear. We call it Kabbalah Miyira. Something about Allah saying. It's almost like a Kabbalah Sikhlis, like an intellectual understanding that they knew what God was and what God wanted from them, so they had to accept it. But it was lacking a Nidivas. It was lacking a giving because they didn't have a choice. They didn't have to choose. And so there was something missing. Because they couldn't choose. There wasn't Avya. They couldn't love. And that, of course, is only true until Purim. A Purim, a time when Clyus are living in a world of Hester Panim, a world after Chorban and Bias, where the, where the Melech of Persia makes random decrees depending on his mood. Sounds similar. Where the fate of the entirety of Klayasol is dependent on a poor Hu Agoral. It's chance. The world of Ashakar Chabaderach. It's Mamash, the world of Amalek. A world that has no God and God has no influence, at least it seems that way. And you can read the entire story of the Megillah and never see a Kadosh Baruch Hu in it. And you wouldn't be wrong. It doesn't seem like he's there. And it's Bidafka in that world that everything is turned upside down. And Clyus will make a choice. They choose not to see the world that everyone else sees, but to see a world that is not coincidences, but a world of Ashaka practice. A world where Kadosh Baruch Hu is pulling every string. They did not have to see a Kadosh Baruch Hu in that nace. But they chose to. They found the Korach HaBechira. And that led them to Akibu Vakiblu HaYehudim, where they chose Torah Mitzvahs. And at that moment, Kla Yisrael regained the Korach HaNadivos, the ability not to receive the truth of a Kadosh Baruch existence because they have to, because it's staring them in the face, but the exact opposite. Because they want to. And it's only once they learn to give of themselves to Kadosh Baruch that koach of the divas, that they accept the Torah me'ava. Out of a love, out of a passion. And it's not surprising that this is the first time that Klai Yisrael then create new mitzvos, because they're not happy just to have mitzvos, they want to give extra they want to give more. And what type of mitzvot do they create? Mitzvot that are only about what? Giving to others. We have no other concept. Most chitim is a beautiful minhag. There's no other mitzvah like this. Vatam savyonim? Mishloach manos? Just to be marvareis, just to give to somebody else. Because Klaishu at that time also came to realize and to recognize that the more you give, the more you actually receive. But say, Purim is the ultimate opportunity to tap into the Koach 
the Koch of Avas Hashem and the Koch of Avas Yisrael, of being a divlave, of being a giver. It's the foundation of a happy and successful marriage. And it's the esode of our relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Our willingness to invest, to give of ourselves because Torah is our chiyas. Not because Torah is on the schedule, but because we love it. And Purim is such a precious opportunity to remind ourselves of how much we reap the benefits, how much we gain when we give of ourselves for the And the Koach and the Divas also paves the way for our relationship with other Jews. Kol Nadiv Libo, the generosity of spirit of Purim, the Lech Kenos is called Yehudim, that it's the Yisod of Purim. It wasn't Lech Kenos, it's Kola Lom De Torah. Lech Kenos, Kol Yehudim, Kol HaYehudim. All of them. It's the perfect opportunity to work on this mitah. I'll tell you one of my favorite times in yeshiva when I was a Talmud. My favorite, my favorite times. We'd be at the Purim Mesiba every year. We'd be dancing, and everyone's dancing, and everyone's there, and it's great. And then I would see a guy, different guy every year, but a guy who's like in my like intro to psych class, or in the stat class that I, you know, who I knew everything about and I'd already made all my decisions about what he's like and what he does and how he wastes his time and whatever, I like made my judgments already in my head about him. Didn't ever talk to him. I wasn't not nice, chas v'shalom ever, but I, I just, I, you know. I was with, with my chavra, he was with his chavra. And then somehow we'd like cross paths during the Masiba, Like bump into each other. And we decide to dance together. And for 20 seconds, it didn't matter what I did outside the classroom and what he did outside the classroom. What mattered is that we were both Jews, and it was pur. So we danced. And it wasn't the same guy every year, though. We didn't, like, have a plan. It's always a different guy. And sometimes more than one guy. And it was like this amazing, like, maybe I'm not in YU for like five minutes. That's not a good thing. But it was like, it was just, all those boundaries, they broke down. One day, of course. For one day. I encourage you to use the day of Purim to focus on your koach of being in a div life. Both in how you invest in your relationships, I should say our relationships with the Kodesh Baruch Hu, and how we invest in relationships with Jews who are not just like us. Jews who are different from us. And I promise you it is worth it. The street sweeper from Piazetsna reminds us that doing for others does not just give others chizuk. It gives us chizuk. Because when you give, you get much more in return. Should bless all of us with a freilich and perm. A perm that propels us to grow higher and higher in our vodas Hashem, in our relationships with other Jews. And in which Hashem doing so will bring us one step closer to the BS called Sedek in Herb Yameinu. Amen. Amen.